We have pictures here. The one on the right is traditionally what is called the upper room. Uh, we're not certain of what that room looks like. It could actually look like the one on the left, but we do know that this was a room chosen by Jesus that he sent his disciples ahead to set up this Passover meal. And the goal was intimacy. The goal was privacy. And now Jesus has ended his public ministry. And he's taking his disciples away into this upper room and he is preparing them for his departure. The first half of John covers years, three years of his ministry. This latter half, beginning right here, covers his final days. And this discourse that we're going to look at in 13 through 17 takes place the night before his death. So what is said here and what he does here is on the heels of his crucifixion. And he speaks these truths and does what he does here today for, for a reason, for a purpose. To his 11 disciples, because one, of course, is going to leave. The tone, the depth, the content, it changes. It's different. And it's not just for his disciples, but it's for you and me. And we will not find a richer small group than this one. And the stage for what Jesus says is set by the passage that we're going to look at today. The title of our sermon is Sacrificial Love. We're going to be looking at John chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. There's a guy named Alvin Cavan. Alvin Cavan was always known as someone who was constantly, faithfully doing small acts of kindness. I'd estimate Alvin Cavan weighed 90 pounds, but 89 of those pounds made up his big heart. Alvin keeps busy by giving and serving others. Says Connie Moore, activity director at Cedar Crest Manor Nursing Home in Medicine Lodge, Kansas. Cavan, age 89 in 1994, was a volunteer with a big heart and a big Stetson hat. Alvin began coming to the nursing facility when his wife May, who was an Alzheimer's patient, was admitted in 1985. During that time, he rarely missed a meal with May. Though he was retired from operating a dairy farm, Alvin milked almost a dozen cows before arriving for breakfast with his wife. Between lunch and supper, Alvin would show up at the nursing home to replenish May's ice pitcher. Before long, he also volunteered to fill every other resident's ice pitcher as well. Even after May went to be with the Lord in November 1986, Alvin continued to help out at Cedar Crest Manor. At supper, he set out napkins and coffee cups. If residents needed assistance with their wheelchairs, they got the Mr. Cavan's escort service. Alvin, before he passed, I'm sure he's passed by now, says this, 
Life is so much better when you have your priorities straight. And it begins by making the Lord your first. I'm sure if you're anything like me, when you hear an illustration like that, you might have a mix of emotions. Number one, I read this and I say, that's how I want to be. That's how I want to die. I want to die being known as a servant. But also, you might have the reaction, be like, I want to be that way, but I am definitely not that way. (laughs) I am struggling at being a servant. A lot of times, I tend to put myself first before I would put others first. Or maybe, maybe you hear that and you know, you know how important it is and you want to do it, but you're really, really tired. You're drained. Because giving and serving and ministering to others is hard, isn't it? It's physically draining, it's emotionally draining, it's spiritually draining. As I began this sermon, it's really, really interesting I was focusing on a a subject that I've been hearing tossed out uh, lately. It's called the Great Resignation. Maybe some of you have heard of the Great Resignation. Uh, It has to do with many, many people in our country just being burned out altogether and saying, I've had enough, I can't do it anymore. Uh, Pastors are actually beginning to join that, and I received a uh, Christianity Today magazine, and on the cover was this picture with the title, Emptied Out. Thousands of ministers are exhausted And rightfully so. Rightfully so. And it it talks about the stresses and burdens of ministry. And how many pastors are joining what is known as this great resignation. And for many, many, many of them, they absolutely needed to. They were bearing the burdens alone. They needed to care for their own personal health. They needed to care... For the needs of others. Folks, ministering to others is extremely difficult no matter where we find ourselves in in life. Whatever our job is, it's draining, it's hard, it's sacrifice, but it's also part and parcel of the Christian calling, isn't it? Jesus does something here in this passage that we're going to look at today. And it's not only a reflection of his greater ministry of self-sacrifice on the cross, but it is an example for you and me to follow. And what we learn here is that Jesus, his understanding of his mission and who he is, fuels what he's going to do. It springs forth from what he knows. We're going to get two keys, and the two keys are kind of wrapped up into the knowledge of Jesus, and we're going to apply uh, this type of knowing uh, to ourselves. Folks, notice what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing here. This starts out the discourse to his disciples, whom he's leaving behind, and he's saying, this is what defines ministry. Ministry is sacrificial love for the sake of others. It is this action that sets the stage for everything that he is going to say. 
This defines who Jesus is and should define his disciples as well. The first key that we need to know is knowledge of our calling, verses 1 through 2. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. How many people like to know what they are supposed to do before they are asked to do something? It's okay to say yes to that. We should, right? If someone asks you to do a task, right, you should know what that task involves. Is everyone fun? Are we tracking? I know it's hot, right? So if, you, if you're told to do something, right, you probably want to know how you're supposed to do it, what you're supposed to do, the details of that mission or that task or whatever it is. Uh, when I was in the, the Navy, before we went out on the aircraft, uh, we would have a pre-mission briefing. In that, I might have shared this before, in that pre-mission briefing, we sat around a table and we went around the table and we were all given tasks, you know, and they would say, sensor operator, Mr. Labaz, you are to do this. And I was given a list of tasks to do. So when I got on the aircraft, it was not a surprise. I was not surprised what I was supposed to do. And actually, knowing what I was supposed to do helped me do what? Fulfill my task to help the greater mission. Well, whatever it is in life, knowledge of our purpose is going to fuel or drive what we are supposed to do. What happens here is no surprise to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knows exactly what he is supposed to do. This is his calling. Pastor Dave, and we're going to be right, I'm so glad he's not here because I got to use this picture of him. And I was going to use a really bad picture. And I'm like, no, I won't do that. So this is a really, that's a good looking man right there. That's your pastor, Pastor Dave. Uh, so Pastor Dave, and I'm going to reference, so I'm just going to reference him here and now in the beginning of this section, 13 through 17. And then just understand that much of what I said is probably derived from this man's knowledge because he wrote a book on chapters 13 through 17. So I get to kind of use that book. But I love how he opens up this section. Doing comes from knowing. Action springs forth from knowledge. Jesus' understanding of his commission drives his mission, right? When we understand what we are supposed to do, then we do it. And what Jesus does here is both a reflection of his greater ministry on the cross, but also an example for us to follow. Jesus is called to die. This is an example of that calling. Jesus has died to self from the beginning, and now Jesus dies to self once again. This is no surprise to him. The word knowing sets and frames this section. So two times, he knows, he knows, he does. He knows, he knows, he does. Jesus knows that his entire purpose, it says his hour is upon him. 
Jesus came to die. He came to die. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And as a ransom for many, it's his purpose in life. And he is fulfilling that even here and now, moments before his death. Now, I want you to think about what is happening here. Jesus knows he's going to die. Not only does he know he's going to die, he knows how he is going to die, doesn't he? Jesus knows that the feet of those individuals that he loves and that he's going to wash at this moment are going to run away from him and abandon him. He knows that. Jesus knows that in a a few hours, people are going to spit upon him. They're going to mock him. They're going to whip his back until it bleeds and his flesh is hanging down. They're going to give him a cross and crucify him naked before hundreds of individuals to see. He knows all of that. If anybody could have said, you know what? I think I need a break. You know what? I think that I need to sit back and let them wash my feet. Do you think he deserved a little little break? He's ministered to people for years now. Now, please don't get me wrong. This This is not a guilt trip. This is what is happening in this passage. And I thought about this, and I'm thinking the The night before he dies, he continues to minister to those God gave him. Folks, we can can say our hour is always upon us. Because we know that earlier, Jesus doesn't say, if you want to follow me, you have to die monthly. Does he say that monthly? Does he say weekly? What does he say? Daily. Hmm. That's easy, right? It's easy for us. It's really hard, isn't it? Here's the thing, we we have a a variety of callings in our life. Uh, You're called to be a husband, you're called to be a a mother, a father, a wife, you're called to be a son or a daughter, and then we have callings in our own family, right, that we're, we're to serve those individuals. You have a calling in this church, you're called to serve you're called to minister, you're called to use your gifts, you're, you have a calling in your town, you're called to be a good uh, individual in your community, uh, you have a calling as a citizen, and you have your calling in a job, right? Whatever your job is. Do you know what? This is our primary calling that is to be over, o- lays over all of those callings because 
we can fulfill all of those callings. We can do all of those callings, but if we're not doing this one, we're missing our true purpose. Christians are called to die and to serve humbly those that are put in their path. That's what we're called to do. And knowing that, understanding that, frees us, doesn't it? That no matter, no matter where I find myself in life, it doesn't matter. This isn't reserved for pastors. It's not reserved for super Christians. It's not, it's not reserved for, for those who are just in the ministry. It is for everyone who calls themselves after the name of Jesus Christ. You and I can fulfill this mission in our life no matter what we do. We can die to ourselves and serve others in humility. It fulfills our ultimate mission and glorifies God in the process. And as you and I serve in this fashion, we are handing out tokens of God's love. Because that is exactly what Jesus is doing here. Princess Bride, greatest movie, one of the greatest movies of all times. Anyone see Princess Bride? All right, classic. If not, feel free to watch. Andre the Giant, that's the only thing I should say, and everyone should watch it because Andre the Giant's and Princess Bride. It begins at the home of Buttercup, who is the future Princess Bride. Her small, crude house sits on a hill with beautiful sloping countryside as the backdrop. Uh, though dressed in brown drab clothes and clearly a peasant girl, Buttercup orders others around as though she were royalty. Another peasant named Wesley is a laborer on Buttercup's farm, and uh, the narrator says that Buttercup's greatest pleasure in life is torturing this farm boy, making his life miserable. Uh, she refers to him as this a derogatory farm boy term and makes liberal use of her authority as she orders him about. Yet no matter how menial the task, Wesley always responds in the same way, doesn't he? As you wish. As you wish. Farm boy, polish my horse's saddle. As you wish. Farm boy, as she drops two pails at his feet, fill these with water. As you wish. Farm boy, fetch me that pitcher. As you wish. Though Buttercup is maddeningly condescending, Wesley is a model servant, never refuses her demands, and his attitude is kind and willing. The narrator reveals that one day, Buttercup has a precious insight. He reads this, that day, she was amazed to discover something. When he was saying, as you wish, what he meant was, I love you. You notice what John says here. Why does Jesus do this? He loves them. Yes, it was his calling. Yes, it was his purpose. What Jesus does here is a token of his love for his disciples. You and I are called to do everything in love. He loves them. And the night before his death, he wants, to he wants them to have that moment 
burned into their brains, burned into their hearts. This is how much I love you, that I am willing to humble myself for you. And he doesn't have to because we can see his love on the cross, but this is that personal extension and token of his love for those that God gave him. He loves them. And one of the first things that we could see is as we look at serving the world, right? We, there's a bunch of people who need help in this world, don't, don't they? And it can, it can get overwhelming. Serve and love the ones that God has placed in your immediate context. That's exactly what Jesus does. He loves them fully. And he does so by serving them in humility. And if we focus on the ones that God has given us, whoever it is or whoever God puts before you in your day, love those individuals with a sacrificial love, the best that you can. The second thing, John says here, he he loved them to the end. And I don't even know Jesus definitely loved them to the end of his life. That is not what I think John means by this. It means that he has loved them to the end of his love, meaning he gave it all. He has loved them to the fullest, to his fullest extent. As much love as God Almighty has, he pours it out for you and for me. Wow. And and do you know what that does in a context like this? Because so, so often... When we serve individuals and when we serve and we give of ourselves and we serve them sacrificially, many, many times that's not returned, is it? It's not. And, and sometimes we want to pull back because we, we want to be filled with that type of love, right? If we're extending that love, what, maybe in a marriage, maybe in a, a relationship, maybe at work, whatever it is, if you're extending that love and you're like, oh, I'm giving this love, and no one is pouring back into your life, you're just going to be like, oh, I can't do it anymore. This is what fuels us. This is it. Because all those relationships are going to fail us. We can't love each other fully, because it's always tainted by our sinfulness and by our selfishness, isn't it? He can. He loves you fully. He loves you fully, and he fills you up with that love, and that, it's never going to be exhausted. And that's how we can keep serving and giving to others, is through the knowledge of his love for you and me. What a, what a wonderful picture. He's, he's not doing this begrudgingly. He's not like, man, these stinky feet and these disciples. Sorry. No, he's lo- he wants them to know, I'm doing this because I love you. But it's just mind-blowing, especially before he's about to die on a cross for them. And it doesn't, I know. Let's, we, we want to stop at this point because it gets harder and harder and harder, right? It gets a little bit harder after this one. Why do you think John includes this 
little note about Judas. What's, what's going on here? Why, why mention, what ha- why mention well, that Judas is one of these characters here and that something has already happened within the heart of Judas that the devil has put it into his mind, into his heart to do what? To betray him. And then tell the story about washing the feet. I got to confess that when I, I read this, I moaned aloud <laughs> in my office. We're called to do what? Are we called just to love those that are easy to love? How about our friends, people in our church, people we like, people we agree with? No, we're called to love our enemies. And sometimes, actually, when we look at that, it might be easier when our enemies are distant people. Judas isn't distant, is he? How about loving your enemy who used to be your friend? How about loving someone in this fashion who betrayed you? That's hard. Judas spent years with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He fellowshiped with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He sat at Jesus' feet and he listened to his teaching. And now, now, at the point of time when he has already decided to betray our Lord and Savior, Jesus washes his feet. Calling of a Christian is a calling to love their enemies, even if it doesn't change them, because this isn't going to change Judas. To serve them humbly, to wash their feet, to offer the Lord's kindness, to offer His love. He knew this wouldn't change him. Bless those who persecute us. And it's even harder when those enemies used to be our friends, people we trusted, people we fellowshiped with, people who've turned their back on us. Maybe you have a so-called friend now in your life, and they don't seem like much of a friend. Maybe they're always hurting you. Maybe they're picking on you. Maybe they're, they're doing things to make your life more difficult. Maybe they're betraying you. Love them. Serve them. Jesus' entire ministry is a self-denial and self-sacrifice for the sake of who? His enemies. Of whom, guess what? You and me were once were, right? We were once his enemies. While we were yet sinners, he died. not only the knowledge of our calling, it's the knowledge of our identity. Verse 3. So again, Jesus knowing that the Father had given 
all things into His hands, that He had come forth from God and was going back to God. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, where researcher John Layer noted that most of us are nicer as we are climbing the social ladder. However, once we get close to the top, he says, we begin to act like a beast. That's the word he uses, beast. Layer writes this, as one business professor concluded, it's an incredibly consistent effect. When you give people power, they basically start acting like fools. They flirt inappropriately, tease in a hostile fashion, and become totally impulsive. Some have even compared the feeling of power to having brain damage, noting that people with lots of authority tend to behave like neurological patients with a damaged frontal lobe. That explains a lot for individuals. They did a study about this speeding in a high-power group and uh, the group was asked, is it okay to speed if you're part of this high-power group? And they said yes, because people in power have more privilege and it's okay for them to speed. So that's basically what people are thinking. He says, even the most virtuous people can be undone by the corner office. I want you to see something here. Jesus does not... So those individuals who are climbing this, court, this ladder, right? Whatever the ladder is, and I always call it the crossing guard syndrome because if you get, sometimes the crossing guards, you ever see them and they're like, that's like the wall of China, that hand right there. They're like, you will not cross. I will slay you. I will do everything in my power. You give them this little corner of a street and they're like, I don't know, you know, like Attila the Hun on that corner and they will beat you down. You don't want to mess with it. And what happens, what happens is, we, we get corrupted from power, whatever it is in our lives. And we use our positions not to serve others, but to, to crush them and to put them down. And we see it all over the world. Jesus doesn't forget who he is. Those individuals that are climbing that little ladder, they've forgotten where they've come from, right? They've forgotten where they started. And so many times... We see that happen among all of us. Jesus doesn't forget who he is. Jesus serves them in this fashion because of his identity, because of his character, because of who he is, because of his calling and mission in life. This is the Son of God wiping the filthy feet of humans. I want you to think about what John just says and, and then what is said here. Jesus knows something. All authority, all power, all sovereignty is handed over to him. Number one, we see that Jesus does this act and goes to the cross willingly. He chooses to die. And in the context of Judas already having the thought of betraying him, do you think Jesus could have blasted him with a bolt? Sure, why not, right? He's God. 
He just do whatever. He can blast Judas. He can blast Satan, kind of like his disciples wanted to do to the village in Samaria. Do we remember what they said? They're walking by. They want to go and they want to stay in Samaria. And they refuse Jesus. And they go, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down a bolt of lightning? And actually, and it says incinerate them. And Jesus is like, no, that, that's not who I am. Not, I'm not the judge now. That's not why I came. You, you have no idea what spirit you are. Well, guess what? We have examples of it throughout history. Do you want me to, you want me to little blast right there? How many of us would do that, right? How many of us would not, not just not only not wash Judas's feet, but just be like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna mess with him. He's gonna start choking on a piece of something right now. It's crazy to see he has this power, he has this authority, and he doesn't use it to crush them, crush Judas. He serves them instead. He's fully aware of who he is. He's in control. He could have chosen otherwise. And he also knows where he came from and where he's going. It, you know, what's interesting, when I think about that, the, the power that he has, I love, I cannot wait till I get to this, this verse. And one of my favorite verses in Scripture, believe it or not. When he goes and he's going to be arrested, and they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am he. What happens? They fall. And I love that because, again, it reveals something. Don't forget who you're messing with. I'm going into your hands by choice. You have no authority over me unless it was given. And it's just that little glimpse of who this individual really is. Knocks him down. Knocks him on his feet. He knows his origin, and he also knows his coming exaltation. You know, what's crazy about this is, so what Jesus does in, in washing the feet, num number one, we have to remember something. Culturally, this was saved for the lowest of slaves. As a matter of fact, some Jewish people said that it is not even for a Jewish slave to do, but a Gentile slave to do. This was a task that was the worst. If, you, if you're like drawing lots for, you know, what task, you're like the servants and you're like, you're praying, I don't want to get foot washing. Please don't let me, like, foot washing, oh man, foot washing. It's like the worst thing. It's embarrassing. It was humiliating and it was reserved for the lowest of slaves. Their feet were filthy and dirty and they smelled do you think the disciples are going to volunteer for that? <laughs> no way, because guess what? It should have happened before the meal. So the supper has already happened. John just kind of skips over the supper. And, and there's a discrepancy within whether or not John was wrong chronologically because they ate the Passover feast Thursday instead of Friday. But uh, two different calendars uh, within the Jewish culture, you, and it allowed for it to be celebrated either the Thursday or the Friday. And it also alleviated a lot of the crowds uh, in the, on the actual day. So there's really no 
discrepancy there. Uh, so they, they've already had the meal. Typically, what should have happened was you come in, when you come in, they wash your feet because your feet were all dusty, wore sandals, right? Everyone wore Birkenstocks back then. And they wore them, and they would come in, and they would wash the feet. But nobody, Jesus kind of, did he allow for time to pass to see if the disciples would stand up and do it? Maybe, right? So after the fact, Jesus does this, and there's no way. Why? Because those guys, these are the guys who a couple of them want to actually be on the thrones next to Jesus when he takes over Jerusalem, and they want other people washing their feet. They don't want their reputation. I don't want to be seen doing a task like that. No way. I wonder if they're talking amongst themselves and saying, like, who's going to, you going to, I ain't doing that. That's disgusting. You see his feet right there? I ain't washing. I ain't touching that with a 10-foot pole. Why is that? Because their identity is wrapped up in the wrong things. It's not wrapped up in Christ. It's not wrapped up in God. It's not wrapped up in love. It's wrapped up in what people think about them. It's wrapped up in their jobs. It's wrapped up in the world. It's wrapped up of other people's perspectives of them. But we don't have a problem with that, do we? Not at all. It reminds me, uh, I might have shared this before, reminds me of the lessons that God was trying to teach me in Long Creek, many of which I did not learn. Many of which, after the fact, I can sit back here and be like, yeah, didn't learn that one. Okay. And even seeing that cart kind of makes me feel really weird inside. So this was the environmental services cart. So after years, and Brian, you, you know this job, after years of of establishing my rank. So I was there for many years, and I was one of the higher-ranking juvenile program workers. That's what we were called. I, was, I fulfilled the juvenile part to a T. So we were one of these workers, and, and people started coming in to, to work, and they were like, they were peons, right? They were the rookies. So the rookies were supposed to get the bad jobs. If you were there and you had rank, Right? You should get the good jobs. That's just the way it should work. They started assigning me as environmental services. It was, I, you, you can ask my wife, I'd come home and I'd be like all upset and I'd be like, man, I, I have so much more ability than that. You know, and this is bad. So what I'm saying is not truthful. What I'm saying is just what I was saying. It's the true of what I'm saying, that I'm an idiot in saying those things. And I, I, I said, Number one, why did I care about this? Because I was prideful. I didn't want people to look down upon me and think that all that I was good for was to clean toilets. And I would go in, and I would protest to my supervisor. And I'd be like, what are you doing? Do you, do you know who I am? Do you, do you know how long I... Let me tell you something, brother. I've even been here longer than some of those supervisors. You're telling me? You're going to put me here? Uh-uh. That job is for little people. That job is for the rookies. That job is for the unqualified. You know what job I used to love, would love to volunteer for was putting on that outfit. 
putting on that outfit, going in and dealing with unruly kids and coming out and be like, oh, what a hero. It's my pleasure to serve. Thank you. No, no, really. No, because I looked awesome in that outfit and it was a cool job and people were like, yeah, that's, I'm going hands-on. I'm putting you in cuffs. I'd be like, yeah, and you sat there and you told stories. You ain't telling stories about, yeah, you remember that time I cleaned that toilet? Whew, that was a bad one. You ain't, there are no war stories around that. Why is that? That's my pride because my identity was found in my job, not in Christ. And to this day, I'm ashamed of that. If, if my identity was found in Christ, if I was comfortable knowing that the service that I render now, even as, as humiliating as it may be, one day I'm going, I know where I'm going. I know the exaltation that's coming. And instead of trying to establish me and my identity and my kingdom, establishing his. Because our Lord and Savior did much, much worse in clean toilets. And I should have looked at that. What should be shameful is that that's an opportunity to show Christ, no matter what the job is. Because I'm comfortable with who I am in Him. Because I've actually lost Mark. And I live for Jesus Christ. Not for myself. Not so that people can think I'm awesome in a suit, that I'm tough. But an opportunity to take a humble service and reveal the love of Christ by doing my best at it, even when no one's around to see it. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he was going. His character and his identity shaped his mission. And we should all do the same. And knowing that Jesus did this, he did it willingly. And it shows us what sacrificial love looks like in the next few verses. Sacrificial love, folks, chooses to lay aside the self in service to others. Read 4 and 5 with me. Knowing, knowing, he got up from supper. Laid aside his garments. Taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The knowing drives the doing. Jesus acts out really what he's been doing the entire time. What you see here, as Jesus wipes and washes the disciples' feet, wipes them dry, is Philippians in a shorter illustration. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. In your relationships with one another, know something. Have this mindset. That was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, 
did not consider equality, laid it aside, right? Isn't that what's happening here? Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by doing what? Girding himself with humanity, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what he does here. It's a reflection of his life. God took on man, not just any man, but a servant, and humbled himself in a humiliating way for you and for me. Many times we look at, we look at that picture and we, we, it, it's not a sanitized version you know, we, and we see Jesus, and there he is, and he's all clean, and the disciples, and he's going around with this. It wasn't like that at all. Their feet would have been protruding outward. And you can almost imagine, picture Jesus kind of crawling from one, one person to the next, washing their feet. And it's not a ceremony where we all get together one day in church and we get a couple pastors or elders and they look real humble as they wash, wash people's feet. Though that would be humbling without a doubt. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. I know many times I've passed by the feet of others because I was more concerned with where my feet were taking me. Christian calling is one of sacrificial love laying aside the self and taking up the towel. This task, as I said before, was usually reserved for the lowest of slaves, but this time it wasn't reserved for a slave, was it? It was reserved for our Lord and Savior. It was something that needed to be done, and Jesus stepped up and stooped down, revealing His purpose, revealing His character, he knew who he was and what he was called to do, and knowing this, he washed their feet, even the one of the person who betrayed him. Remember our friend Alvin? Alvin served and served and served. Why? He knew something, didn't he? He made the Lord his priority. He had a mindset. He knew that and he did it until the Lord called him home. Folks, every day that choice is before us. You and I have a choice every day, no matter where we find ourselves. Will we cling to ourself, or will we lay the self aside and love others sacrificially, washing their feet, even the feet of those who hurt us? Father, an amazing example that our Lord leaves for us and an amazing instruction into His whole purpose and person. 
And Lord, I know, I confess, even going through this sermon again and again, I fall very, very short of this. And it's only through your strength and your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we can begin to follow in our Lord and Savior's footsteps. Lord, help each and every one of us to continue to serve others. Help us to die to ourselves. Help us to do those humiliating tasks that others won't do. Help us to not seek our identity in this world or what others may think of us. Help us to find it in you and you alone. And knowing that, knowing what we're called to do, knowing who we are, Lord, that we would love others in this fashion. And that in doing so, that we would give them tokens of your love. Because, Lord, this world needs this type of service. It needs this type of love. And, Lord, you have called us to be your vessels. We need you in this. We need you in all of it. Strengthen us. Revitalize our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.